Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 9 of Dive Cuts. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me as always is a fan of the Portland, Maine Red Claws, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited that t-shirt came in the mail. I've been waiting and scouring and hunting eBay for it. That beautiful Maine Red Claws t-shirt is uh, in my collection now, so I'm thrilled. You can't mock me enough. I can. I wore it publicly. I, I went out in Indianapolis with a main Red Claw shirt on, and I felt pretty. So, no one can make me feel bad. Well, I can highly recommend uh, Portland, Maine, as a uh, vacation destination, particularly if you are looking for an escape from the heat in the midst of summer. Um, we did that last summer, and it was kind of awesome. Fresh seafood, hazy IPAs. I mean, it's all there. Yeah, especially if you like oysters. Like the oysters there, phenomenal. So uh, let's transition that very coldly right into Mizzou basketball because that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, Missouri, after dropping uh, their first road contest to Xavier, um, came back home for a couple games, and that's why we are delayed in our uh, recording of Dive Cuts is... There was a game Monday and a game Wednesday, and that's kind of makes it tough to fit uh, in, in the timeline. Um, but the the results were kind of what you would expect for Missouri. They've played Wofford, and uh, 
I think feel like that game was tight early on. Missouri got a little separation there in kind of the early second half, and they were able to spread it out and ended up winning by 19 points uh, against um, Moorhead State. A little bit more of a, a struggle back and forth, but uh, I think Moorhead's defense and their sort of ability to play passing lanes kind of disrupted the Tiger offense quite a bit. Um, but in the end, uh, the, the the star of the show for Missouri, Matt, has been their stellar defense from from the start. Yeah, I think that's that's the one sort of takeaway after five games is they've they have the makings of what could be a, a really really elite defense, uh, and I say that in terms of national perspective. Um, obviously, I think there'll be some slippage. Uh, the schedule's going to get tougher, and that starts uh, as we'll talk about here in a minute next week in Kansas City, but. Um, I think you looked it up. They're playing teams that are about average of 137 in Kim Palm right now. Uh, so not mm-hmm. not a murderer's row, but they're not you know playing teams in the 250s, the 260s. They're playing some quad three games. Well, and that that number is for the uh, opponent's adjusted offense. Oh, for their offensive rank. So I mean, playing. Yeah, yeah, not the overall rating. So they're playing slightly better than median offenses. So it's to keep that in mind. Like they're not. Playing teams that are going to fill it up, but they're also not playing teams that are going to struggle, uh, you know, every single night to put points on the board. Nonetheless, that that sitting at seventh nationally in adjusted defensive percentage is really, really good. Um, I told you offline earlier today, I've been digging around through about the last decade of Kim Palm, and presumably, let's say, that Missouri keeps that up. That's, you know, that they get to march with that. That's about what you'd expect from a protected seed, about a team that's on the three or four line. So if you're thinking about, you know, what does this mean in practical terms down the road, Missouri's playing probably like a top 16 team in terms of of at the defensive end of the floor. Obviously, offense, which we can talk about, needs to catch up a little bit. We have to talk about. (laughs) um, Functionally, though, the one thing is like you look inside the offensive numbers, they're moving the ball reasonably well. you know, everything, you know, free throw creation is pretty solid. They're doing a good job finishing inside the arc and around the rim. Uh, better than they were a year ago. Uh, but jump shooting is, is a problem right now. And unforced turnovers remain uh, a bugaboo in year three. So if they can get a little more shooting and nip turnovers in, that number should go up. But defensively, uh, I, I just think at this point, they're not doing anything differently. I think they're just more assertive and they're a little bit more diverse in how they're defending certain actions. But I think it's just they've got really good personnel. They've got really smart off-ball defenders. They've got guys who are tough and who are a little bit interchangeable. So I think it's been nice to see that sort of uh, aspect of you know this roster translate pretty early on. So for context, um, if you sort Ken Palm for the adjusted defense. Uh, number one is Virginia. Uh, they're currently at 80.1 uh, points for 100, possess- uh, 100 possessions. So that's kind of what this number means. Just It's uh, expected points if you were to play the median uh, college basketball offense over 100 possessions. And so like 80.1 for Virginia at number one, 82.9 is Duke. 84.2 at three is Kentucky. 84.9 is Ohio State at four. 
Uh, fifth is Michigan State at 84.9, Louisville uh, 86.0. Uh, at 6, and Missouri at 86.4 at 7th, just behind Missouri at 86.5, Kansas State. Um, When you look at the teams that are ahead of them, those are all teams that project to be very high seeds in the NCAA tournament. Of course, Missouri, a little bit of an outlier because, you know, Michigan State's offense, uh, adjusted offense is 1, Louisville's 2, Duke is 11, Kentucky is 18, Ohio State's 22, Virginia uh, is the lowest there at 39. Missouri is at 79. So that's kind of what is dragging down Missouri's overall uh, rating and and why all those teams ahead of them are in the top 10. Missouri is sitting at 32. Um, You can feel better about that, though, because behind them with Kansas State at (laughs) 8, Kansas State's adjusted offense is at 156, which uh, they're at 99.4 points per 100 possessions. That's not that's not good um, for a, a Power Five team. Um, so you know Missouri very clearly has some things to clean up on the offensive end. But you look at that the defense and the way that they're able to um, kind of you know make their their name on that end of the floor. And I think that that's probably what a lot of people sort of thought we were getting into. Um, you know when when Conzo Martin kind of took over the program is is. You know, maybe the offense wouldn't quite be as uh, elite or what you would hope, but his, his defense is certainly going to show up on a nightly basis. Uh, and and I don't think I ever expected Missouri to kind of be at the level of fielding, uh, you know, a top 10 level defense. Um, and yet here they are. I mean, it's early in the season. And there's still a lot of games to play, um, but it's been pretty m- remarkable. Their their ability to, to sort of stick to uh, to shooters and to make, shots difficult and to extend possessions longer than guys uh longer than the offense would want i mean um and and normally when especially when you talk about like the uh, level of experience that is on the roster for missouri uh this is something that where they should get better as the year goes on because they are still playing a lot of sophomores and freshmen uh and those guys are are only going to improve yeah i think they're around 270th uh and experience and that's if you look at their minutes among major rotation guys so they're they're still a relatively young team um and i think that's that's what's you know sort of i think speaks to cons ability to teach defense and to get buy-in and to build a culture that you're going to bring in you know you're going to have guys that are probably in their first or second full off season of development work and getting acclimated and trying to adjust and you know, I think it helps that they have some veteran pieces around them, you know, in Drew Smith and in Jeremiah Tillman, who, um, you know, people are going to talk about the foul issues, but I, he's been really, really good defensively this year. Um, I think positionally he's really cleaned everything up. I think he's understanding how to play with verticality, how to beat guys to spots, how to understand how to wall up and how to, you know, use his body position to get blocks. Drew Smith's a guy who... Um, I think he's just a heavy defender, understands how to play passing lanes, understands when to gamble a little bit. Um, gets caught out sometimes, um, I, but that's something that you know I knew coming from Evansville. He's a guy who will maybe stun in a little bit too far, maybe he'll help in a little bit too much, and that'll create some issues once the ball swings. But he's still a guy who is going to you know create turnovers and going to you know be able to I think you know have an, a beneficial trade off in terms that he'll get you some transition opportunities. And, you know, I think you've written this in study hall before. Torrance Watson's really, really come a long way. Um, I know the shooting is not what people want right now from him, but 
I think he's just become a really sound off-ball defender. I think he's a guy you can trust to put on the floor at this point. Um, I think what's keeping him off the floor is not defense. I think it's, you know, the rebounding issues, you know, sometimes the hesitation to drive the ball, you know, things that Javon Pickett is still willing to do. Um, I don't know if we've seen that from Torrance, but if you're going to compare him as defenders, I think he's done a really, really nice job. Mark Smith is reliable. Um, So they've got, and Xavier Pinson's gotten better. I still think, you know, there are times when he gets caught in switches or maybe he gets caught ball watching a little bit, but overall he's cleaned a lot of that up. And so you've really got perimeter players now that aren't putting your back line in a bind. And that's really helpful, especially when you've got young combo forwards that you're going to ask to maybe be a little bit more switchable. So I think that's what stood out to me is they just, they don't have guards that are going to jump off the screen at you, but they're all sound. They understand scheme. They understand scouting reports. You know, they don't put guys in compromising positions. And Missouri's still a team that is not going to, be an on-the-line, up-the-line team. They're not going to, you know, really stop the ball from swinging. But they've got the ability now, I think, to gamble a little bit more and to, you know, be a little bit more diverse in, you know, how they guard screens and switch a little more. Whereas last year, they were really just kind of parked in gaps and really just kind of daring teams to take tough, contested mid-range jumpers. So I think that's what stood out to me is they've just got really solid personnel. They understand what they're trying to do every night. And when opportunities to make plays come up, they take advantage of them. So I think, you know, it's something that you expect from a Conzo Martin defense. It's not going to be fancy. It's not going to be something that, you know, guys are doing, you know, X's and O's wonks are going to be doing videos on. But they do a really nice job and they understand what they are and what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think at this point we're sort of looking at, at uh, two keys to their sort of defensive uh, approach. And one is they, they've gotten more athletic. Uh, so the first two years, you know, the roster wasn't really full of a lot of athleticism. Uh, and so, you know, I think in, you and I both kind of talked about it. I think you even did a piece on on Missouri kind of using a little bit more of like a pack line approach. Um, and while I, I think they're still using elements of the pack line, they're certainly put a lot more pressure on the ball. Uh, they're doing different things in ball screens. Um, I certainly uh, like that the sort of switch from the first half to the second half, uh, the staff made an adjustment on how they're approaching ball screens against Moorhead state. Um, you know, I think they're kind of doing a little bit of, uh, using their bigs to kind of do some drop coverage and kind of defend against the, uh, the drive and, and trying to get the guard through the screen. Um, and then they switched in the second half to, to basically just icing everything. Um, yeah, and I just think like when when they were able to do that, like it 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 stymied uh, sort of what Morehead State wanted to do, and uh, and and that little change, and and certainly like it was interesting, kind of going from one night to the next night when you look at the personnel that Kansas went with against Wofford. You know, the the Terriers are a smaller team, not super athletic. Uh, they run a lot of motion. They run a lot of screens. They try to get uh, you know, their, their shooters, uh, open looks. Um, and so, you know, console kept the, the rotation tight. Um, and he was willing to play a lot of four guard lineups, uh, and, and guys that he sort of knew that he could trust to, to be there and defend. And I think it, it just, it drove Wofford nuts, um, you know, trying to get, you know, good looks. And then you switch that to the next night where he played, 
everybody except Axel Okongo um, and tried a variety of different approaches and, and was really doing a lot of switching, uh, you know, still kind of going one through four, uh, you know, but sort of showing that, that we have a lot more athletes who can defend uh, off the bounce because um, defending off the bounce, defending kind of straight up, uh, putting pressure on the ball and, and, and sitting down and moving your feet um, is, is sort of one thing, but understanding the opponent offense and, and kind of getting through screens is, is tougher for a lot of younger guys. And I think that's probably why we saw limited minutes from, from Trey Jackson and, um, or, you know, no minutes from Trey Jackson and, and Mario McKinney specifically, you, you wanted to get a little, um, a little more experience and, and kind of running through those things. And I think he got it. Yeah. I, I think that they, the one thing that they have now is, um, flexibility. The one, and I think, you know, everybody talks about going nine deep and what that means offensively. I think defensively it really lets him, you know, craft scouts that are far more specific than just sort of, hey, let's keep everything in front. Let's sit down and sort of funnel things to help. You know, they can do some more, you know, specific tweaks so they can go, you know, from one opponent to the next and really sort of alter their approach and understand they've got the bodies to do that. Um, I still think it's a it's still an issue for them in terms of figuring out how they want to handle the offensive rotation. I think I drove you nuts against Moorhead going, you know, why did they, why did we start rolling bodies, you know, three minutes into each half, you know, they, they really started to get into sort of rolling guys every minute or 45 seconds. And it was just hard, I think, to get a rhythm going offensively. And so that was the other thing that sort of struck me was that they kept the rotation tight against Wofford I think every guy knew what they were going to do. They had a clear concept of what was going to happen. They knew what the scout was going to be. You know, Wofford's going to, you know, be tough to defend. They're going to run you around. They're going to, you know, get into your legs a little bit. But Missouri handled that, I think, pretty efficiently. And then you look at Moorhead, it was just, you know, you mentioned the tweaks they had to make. It felt like a night where, you know, Missouri was just really struggling to find a flow. And that was especially on the offensive end of the floor and, you know, what they were trying to do. And I think I mentioned to you, it was just like, you didn't see a lot of off-ball movement, like especially on the weak side of the floor. Like guards were just standing and just not moving, not clocking. You didn't see, you know, guys, you know, knifing into gaps when they opened up off a post-up. You know, you, things didn't look really clean in terms of how they were rolling out of, you know, pick and rolls. So it was just, it was a very, it was kind of a stilted night. And I didn't really sense that like the toggling lineups, I think they played 26 lineups in that game really, you know, got a lot of flow to it. It felt just kind of, it just was hard to pick up where the rhythm was, and that's before you account for what the officials were doing too. So that was my other <laughs> sort of takeaway. I, I, you know, Konzo's talked about going eight, nine or ten deep, and that's great in theory, but I think the couple times they've seen it, it really, I think, kind of undercut some momentum. Like their starters in both the halves did a really nice job, came out, got, you know, got into Moorhead State, got going, got into the post, got what they wanted. And then you saw the sub pattern roll, and maybe that helped them defensively in the second half, but it, it really seemed to just throw a, a wrench into the offense. So that was the other thing I was kind of thinking was that was the trade off that maybe sort of existed early on in that game. Yeah, you know, and I don't, uh, I don't necessarily, you don't always know. You're not in the the coach's room, um, so so yeah, so we don't really know what the goal was. Um, I tend to think like when there's a game that you know that you can win, um, and 
probably win with a fair amount of experimentation, then you're going to take some experimentation. Uh, and, and especially coming off a night where you kept your rotation short, you want to make sure you're kind of keeping those guys engaged. And, and so that, that was sort of, that's from coming from a, a, a background of, uh, been on the, <laughs> having been on the sideline, that's the justification I could see sort of happening is wanting to make sure that the guys that weren't engaged on Monday were engaged on Wednesday and were engaged early. Um, you know, and I even kind of told you like, even though it wasn't necessarily always going well, I liked that he was he was putting, uh, you know, for example, like Mario McKinney out there, uh, and he was doing it with Mark Smith and Drew Smith, uh, two guys who I think you can understand as as being reliable and and more guys that you can count on to kind of coach on the floor and be there for Mario, um, you know, and and still have some offensive talent around him, so you know he's not necessarily feeling like he just has to kind of throw himself at the rim and try and make plays. Um, and I think that's just one of those things that, uh, that some of the young guys are going to have to learn. You know, I think that's probably why, um, you know, Kobe Brown is, is starting at this point is he tends to have a little bit more of a maturity to his game. Um, whereas I think, Rio and Trey kind of being more athletic um, guys who could at the lower level really rely on just being phenomenal athletes, uh, you know, could kind of get away with maybe a little bit more and, and they're, they're having to kind of learn that. Um, so so I, I do like that. And I, I think this is going to kind of be um, coach Martin's challenge the rest of the year is, is, you know, being able to bring those guys along slowly to the point where, you know, because I, I think that we both agree that in the future, those guys are really going to be foundational pieces uh, for what, you know, the program can achieve. And um, so I, I think it was probably more along the lines of making sure those guys were engaged early. Uh, and, and even if things weren't going well, uh, it, it seemed that they were able to accomplish that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, I think a, a feeling out process for the staff as well in terms of you know understanding what roles guys can have at this point and i you know i've liked what they did with with trey last night which was you know hey put him on the floor let's you know martin said in the post game he was really feeling like missouri was settling for jumpers early and you know easy jumpers. so you put a guy like jackson in on the floor who is going to be a little bit more downhill oriented or you're you know feel like the offense is getting a little bit again into settle mode you put rio out there a guy who's going to look to get downhill toward the rim it's nice to have those guys that you can put in and just with one in substitution i think i wrote this when we were doing position preview too when one substitution can kind of change the dynamic on the floor offensively but you also kind of have that insurance policy of some veterans out there so it's i think it's just figuring out you know at what point you know do you want to use that sort of chip or do you want to play that card in the rotation, but it, it it's good to try and get them some consistent minutes or get them some opportunities to stay engaged and get on the floor and you know have you know something to look at in film and understand that okay here's some live examples of where I can improve. So I it's a game against Morehead State. They won. They did what they needed to do. Um, now they get Butler, and this is a this is a game that I, I I still am trying to get a good feel for. I don't know about you, but it's it, it it's a weird one. Like I think. 
I look at Butler's roster and love some of the pieces, but I'm not quite sure what to what to make of the whole. So you know that it'll be interesting how that matchup goes because I feel like both teams are still trying to get a true sense of their identity or still trying to address some big kinks in terms of what their rotation is going to look like. Yeah, I was actually, we were talking before we came on, I was kind of surprised to hear you say that you had not really had a chance to watch Butler um, play so far this year, considering that you uh, live with a Butler alum. Yeah. uh, I think I've only seen parts of the Minnesota game. She watched the entire Minnesota game in the second half of the Wofford game. Um, Was very pleased with how the Wofford game went. Um, The Minnesota game uh, gave her anxieties. Gave her anxiety, and she was, I think, yelling at Sean McDermott about something. She wasn't happy with his shot selection. She was at work, like, on a break watching uh, on her tablet. (laughs) So uh, she texted me and said she was not pleased with Sean at all, which is... Given our given our, our our relationship with Sean McDermott is not surprising. She's not really uh, bought into uh, him on the roster, but I'll I'll set aside my uh, future wife scouting reports. <laughs> well, so a little bit about Butler. Um, Butler struggled last year. They were so last year. What were they like seventy something in Kempom? Yeah, they um, were. Last year they came in at seventy two in Kempom, and they could not defend to save their lives. Which, if you know Butler, that one hundred twenty three rating or ranking in adjusted defensive efficiency is a pox on their house. I mean, they that is when they talk about the Butler way, it's built around being tough on the defensive end of the floor. Like if you look at their Kempom history until last year, the lowest they had been rated, I think was 97 and 123, but they had, I think elite offenses both those years. So they, they really, really take pride in defending on that end of the floor and being smart offensively. And they also had an issue of just letting leads kind of fritter. I think they lost three or four games where they led by at least 10 points. And that mm-hmm. sort of sapped some confidence for them, and they just couldn't quite dig out of it. Um, they were eighth and they were ninth last year in field goal defense and three point defense in the Big East, which again is a pride point for them that they will sit down and defend, and that couldn't happen. So I think it's a program that, like right now, is starting to really figure out and get back to its identity. And this is a third year for Jordan, and this is about the time when, it, you know, when you look at Butler's deep history of coaches this is about when you know the next guy in the coaching lineup you know begins to really take off and so this feels like kind of a linchpin year for Laval and you know making sure that the program you know kind of keeps its core identity but he can put his stamp on it so it's it's an interesting time you know Conzo's trying to do the same thing in Missouri like really trying to and you know, leave his identity and his stamp on a roster. So that that's what has me impressed. You have two guys who are, you know, kind of at low key critical junctures in, in terms of their program builds, and so you're going to get to see them on on Monday night in Kansas City. So Kamar Baldwin is is clearly the you know the star of the roster. I mean, he's a guy who's been there. He's a senior now. Uh, he's been a linchpin for them. Um, you know, really, since he stepped on the floor, he's been a really reliable, solid point guard. The game winner, his first um, his first game of his career, came down. They ran an ISO for him, 
hit a 12-foot runner and didn't look and then got a steal to ice the game coming out of a timeout. Didn't look <laughs> If you can't tell I love Kamar Baldwin. I've loved him since he was here. He's just a he's a tough he's a tough dude and you know, just a joy to watch him play. Yeah, he's kind of like a 6-1 combo guard. I imagine um Kansa Martin will have some defense schemed up for him and 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 try to sort of limit uh, his touches and looks. Um, you probably see a lot of uh, both Drew Smith and Mark Smith uh, on top of him. Um, after that, uh, like I kind of feel like Butler's still kind of trying to find. They don't have a second option right now. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't really have a second option. They've got some guys who maybe could get there. Like Jordan Tucker has looked like. He's the kind of guy who, like, when he steps off the bus and you see him warming up, he looks like he should be the guy. Um, he's got a tendency to drift. You, he, you can lose him in game, and then when he reengages, it'll be a shot that you'll just go, "Huh, that's that, that's how you decided to <laughs> assert yourself." <laughs> uh, and they they don't really have a lot of size. Um, they lost uh, Joey Brunk in the off season um, to a transfer who he graduated. He was a guy uh, who Missouri actually recruited um, under Commanderson and had no shot of landing. Um, Brunt committed to, to Butler played for Chris Holtman. Uh, there was some uh, issues. I think his dad got sick and ended up dying. Yeah. His, uh, his dad uh, had cancer. So he and, like took um, a year off or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Holtman gave him a year um, to be with his dad. Um, and it was, uh, you know, that just the sheer fact that, you know, Chris Holtman gave his star recruit a year off to go deal with that was impressive. Came back in, re- he was kind of a guy who had some baby fat on him, was known more as kind of like a guy who just would anchor on the block and just lean on you. And he came back, dropped, I think about 20 or 30 pounds, like really improved his lateral agility, like, which is deadly when you would run him out of a ball screen. He could just had... He's almost like Jeremiah in terms of that. He's just got a great understanding and spatial awareness of where he is, can catch the ball on the move, can finish with either hand off the move. And really, I think, you know, was a great pick-and-roll partner for Thompson and Baldwin last year. You could put them in situations and run them together, and you could kind of just space everybody off that. Um, He's a big loss for them, and uh, hurts even more that he went down the road to Indiana. Uh, That is... That's salt in the wound for uh, Butler fans that he decided to not only stay in-state but go down to the other program that they take pride in having a winning record against, I think, over the past decade. So um, Nate Fowler was just kind of a guy that was a big body. He could rebound. Um, he could shoot trail threes, but you didn't want to throw in the ball in the block. Like, was just not skilled enough, uh, was terrified of hard double teams, uh, but... He was a guy who was kind of like a Reed Nico. You, you know, you could put him on there. He would lean on guys. He would go to the glass, and you might get a, a you know a timely bucket from him now and then. But they just don't have any size that's reliable right now. Uh, they have a grad transfer in Derek Smiths, who's not available at the moment. I think the he's the son of Rick. Point, he's a Val. Yes, uh, the son of a former Pacers uh, legend, uh, Rick Smiths, uh, came from Valpo. Uh, really good. Kind of got better there, but uh, he was sort of supposed to be a stopgap solution instead they're running out Bryce Golden who's a 6'9 probably more of a combo forward and then they're 
Uh, they've got a freshman who needs some work and John Michael Malloy. He's a four-star kid, but he just needs some time. So they're really kind of, I think, using uh, Bryce Inzi and Bryce Golden as uh, their bigs, and those are 6'7 and 6'9 dudes. So uh, I imagine Missouri's going to look to pound the ball inside and play through them and really just try and do what they've done against other teams like Wofford or against Northern Kentucky. They're a, a, a fairly like sort of similar makeup team uh, to to Xavier. They've got a few more shooters than the Musketeers, but as far as the, uh, I mean, they're a little bit more even on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. So this is a game that, I mean, realistically should be very, very tight. Um, And the way Missouri has shot the ball lately, it's, (laughs) it's hard to envision a scenario where, um, where this is something that stretches out to like a 10 or 15 point win. I think this is going to be uh, a back and forth all the way down to the, the end of the wire. The question really to me is, you know, Sean McDermott, I think is going to be a linchpin because he's a guy who can shoot 39% from the floor, but he'll just have nights where that's all he'll do is just space. He'll take jumpers and then he's not really a factor to anything else. Like that's the issue is that, him and Thompson, I think, are really, really low-usage guys. And if you're not getting jumpers out of McDermott and you're really able to sort of take sight lines away, uh, Aaron Thompson's averaging about seven assists a game. Granted, it's not against elite competition, but if you can really be sound in ball screens and you can close down shooters, you really make Butler sort of one-dimensional. And that, and they're going to really have to play off of you know what Baldwin can give them. And so that's really, I think, what's going to be interesting is you know, where is Butler going to turn for that second, you know, that second source of offense? And then defensively, you know, I, I, they are one of the worst teams nationally in terms of guarding post-ups. I mean, they're, Bryce Inzi's giving up 1.6 points every time he's got to defend somebody off the block. The foul rates are a little high. Like, if, if you can, if Missouri can get into that front court a little bit, if they can get one of the, if they can either get Inzi or they can get um, Golden in foul trouble, I think that's the circumstance. They're going to need McDermott to have a quiet night, and they're going to have to get, you know, the front court into foul trouble. And I think that's how you would see maybe this thing getting a little bit out of hand. But if it goes like we think it's going to go, I agree with you. It's going to be a game that's probably going to hover around two possessions most of the night, and it's going to be how do teams execute down the stretch. So, you know, hopefully, um, yeah. I mean, you have to imagine that if they're struggling to defend the post, they're probably going to, try to double the post uh, and hopefully Tillman brings his uh, a game because he did not do that against Moorhead state. He was very sloppy at five turnovers. Um, it would be nice to sort of have him kind of come back and play the, maybe a little bit close to the way he did in the second half against Xavier. Uh, and really the first, first four games in general. I mean, Jer- Jeremiah was pretty awesome. Those first four games other than, you know, the first three and a half minutes of Xavier where he picked up a couple fouls. Um, if uh, they beat the uh, Butler Bulldogs, they will likely take on Oklahoma, who plays Stanford. Stanford is uh, looking like they're improved, um, but still not quite as good as Oklahoma. Um, it'll be nice to uh, um, hopefully get that game against the Sooners because that's a uh, you know we were kind of talking in the last pod about your sort of quad one opportunities, and there's there's two of them right here. You have. 
uh, a really good Big East team and a really good Big 12 team, and it would be nice to be able to uh, get at least one of those wins um, and not have to be stuck playing you know, a, a Pac-12 team who probably won't be very good this year. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. I'm, I always love watching along Kruger co- coach teams. He's, his teams play fast. You know, they, you know, he really lets his team sort of flow and, you know, kind of playing a spread version of an offense. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And Oklahoma is like, is in a position where they don't have like they've got Christian Doolittle, they've got Brady Manick, and those guys are, you know, had been kind of, you know, secondary, you know, options on other Oklahoma teams, and now they are. Stepping in and filling the gap, and Jamal Bienemy kind of had a good little stretch as a freshman, but he's been a little bit cool to start now. They've got Devion Harmon, who's a combo guard, who really could fill it up. He's out of Houston, um, played for Houston Hoops, and was a really, really, really potent scorer there. Um, he's, you know, immediately kind of stepped in and been a role player for them. But again, they they're sort of in the same position where they're only 243rd in bench minutes. They're relatively young. Compared to Missouri, you know, they don't have a ton of continuity in their minutes. Offensively, they're 50th right now, but they're only 127 in effective field goal percentage. They're not shooting the three ball very well. They're they're around where Missouri is nationally shooting the ball. So it, that's a game where I think Missouri may have a little bit of an ability to, you know, the size will be about equal, but I think that's a matchup where if Missouri can get some jump shooting and do what it needs to do defensively, they could they could steal a win. Um, but you know, it's longer Kruger and I, you know, I tend to think he'll have his, his team ready to go. So that'll, uh, you know, th- I say that as a, a guy who's probably a hall of fame coach, but he's, he's a, he's a pretty good basketball uh, you know, coach. I'm really, pretty good, <laughs> yeah, pretty good basketball coach. Not that he, not like he's taken multiple teams to final fours or a coach in the NBA or anything, you know, it's, he's, he's just okay. He's just, I he guess can handle himself. Um, he can handle himself. I don't know. We'll see on, on Tuesday <laughs> night if it gets that far, but. No, I, to take it back to your point about the quad one situation, these games, I think, take on a little bit more importance. You know, they're not, like, do or die, but with the way the SEC has started, um, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride, um, especially if you're Florida. <laughs> um, the the shine's off them a little bit. Um, I think, where, where's Florida sitting right now? Florida's sitting at 33rd in Kimpom. They started the year, I think, at, like, what 12? 12 yeah, yeah they, they they've taken a hit um kentucky's because i had to to put that into a spreadsheet over and over and over again i could probably tell you all the preseason rankings for every sec team <laughs> i mean tomorrow i'm updating what i have uh kentucky lost to evansville i'm just going to go through here and just do this kentucky has lost to evansville um so there's a mid-major loss Auburn's playing better, but they got they nearly got clipped by South Alabama, who's the Sun Belt favorite. Florida's loss to I think Florida State and UConn nearly got beat by Towson at home. LSU lost at VCU. Uh, South Carolina lost earlier this week to Boston U. Alabama has lost to I can't remember who they. Uh, let me pull. They lost on the road to URI. They got smacked at URI last week. And lost their yeah, lost at home home to Penn. Home to Penn. So that that's great. A um, and M got they sp- did hold on recently against uh, Furman yeah, at home. Yeah, A and M got smacked around by Gonzaga, and Vanderbilt lost to 
uh, Richmond. So the A-10 has had its fair share of fun with the SEC so far. And I go through all that to say that this league we thought was going to be a little bit softer than it had been before. Um, granted, we're two weeks into the season. Things can always change. But the league looks a little bit mushier than maybe we anticipated. And so if you're expecting you know, there to be maybe a couple a couple quad one games in the preseason, maybe those slide to quad two games now. And so if you're looking for opportunities to get wins that will matter come March, it's best to get some insurance now. And Missouri has an opportunity on on Monday and Tuesday and uh, in a really, really advantageous neutral court environment of Kansas city. So I think that if you're going to make a tournament, you know, run this year, or if you're going to try and get into the tournament and you're going to try and help your seating, Monday and Tuesday is a prime opportunity to do that. Um, everything's on the table there. These are also opponents that I think Missouri matches up pretty well with. They'll be tight games, but I think they're matchups that you know are a little bit more favorable to them. So a uh, prime opportunity here to really help themselves in going into the third week. Uh, yeah, and so just kind of looking at the schedule ahead after next week, um, Missouri is off until the third of uh, December, so they play Charleston Southern. Uh, they go back to kind of a Tuesday Saturday uh, week with a trip to Temple on the seventh. Uh, then we get Southern Illinois on the following Sunday. So we're we're getting into that like sort of late semester drag. Like once you get kind of past Thanksgiving, like there's not going to be a lot of basketball uh, to watch for on the college side. Um, so we're really going to kind of have to enjoy next week. And then it kind of thins out until the bragging rights. Uh, you know, I, there's a, a tough road game to temple. Uh, temple is currently 99 in Ken Palm. That's still a game. Missouri should win. Um, Illinois. But, is, yeah. Bragging rights. Illinois has already slid 11 spots in Ken Palm. Uh, they were 40 and they needed some help today to get off 47. But they are, and they they get Hampton, Lindenwood in their next two. So I'm not Illinois may barely be on the cusp of fifty when we get to bragging rights. So that'll be interesting to see where they are and sort of what momentum the Illini have going into bragging rights. Missouri, if you can get two wins in Kansas City next week, you really hit a part you really, you know, hit a part of the schedule where you can start to really rack up a nice record and give yourself you know, some leeway going into conference, going into bragging rights. Um, you know, presumably even if you split in Kansas city, you know, right now, Kim Palm has them taking those next four games as wins. So if you can come out of Kansas city at five and two, uh, go into bragging rights at eight and two, maybe you have a nine and two record, you know, coming into the new year. And if you're doing that, then I think this team can really have an opportunity to, to do something special. You know, Kentucky has, you know, maybe they'll have figured some things out, but then they get a couple of home games against teams that are going to be at the top of the slate. You know, there's an opportunity here for this team to build some momentum or build, you know, a pretty, a pretty decent resume early on here. So that's what I'm interested to see. Even if the games are spread out, the way the schedule sets up gives them a prime opportunity to really help themselves. Yeah. Well, I brought up the, uh, the, the spread out um, because it may affect our recording. I still think we'll go weekly, um, but I think we'll probably wait until both games are over next week. Uh, so it may be another late one. 
Uh, since before the box score usually records on Wednesdays, we'll probably uh, probably have to go Wednesday as well since it's Thanksgiving, right? Um, I'll see if Nate wants to go on Tuesday. <laughs> I'll, I'm glad the viewers are getting to hear 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 you do your management live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to trying to Nate. If allow you're listening, them to, we want you to, to prepare their, their Thanksgiving week. recording. <laughs> like they're they're amped to listen to us, right? All all five of them. I, I I think we're up to five listeners now. Maybe five. Maybe five. I don't know. Maybe six. I mean, it depends really on what that one guy has to do, what his work schedule is. So we'll see, but we'll figure it out. We always do. I'm, I'm sure the people are craving our, uh, our our content. They are, Matt, and so we will uh, we will be back next week. Like I said, we'll record post, uh, so don't look for anything uh, until then. Um, you have any predictions before we get out of here? Uh, I think it's a two point win over Butler. Um, and I'll just, for the sake of balance, I'll say that if they get Oklahoma, maybe it's a close loss. So I think one and one coming out of, and if they lose to Butler, I think they beat Stanford. So I, I think they come out of Kansas City at one and one, and then they start rolling a little bit going into bragging rights. So that's, that's what I think. I'm going to be lame and say one and one. All right, I'll uh, I'll take them two and zero then. Um, I think they they get Butler by. Uh, I'll say seven, and uh, and then they play Oklahoma, and it, it's a close game. Uh, but the difference maker, Torrance Watson, comes uh, out of the blue to sink a couple threes late, and uh, Missouri gets a win. Uh, we'll say it's a, um, I don't know, a five point win. How's that sound? Sounds fine to me. <laughs> it's your prediction. I'm. I, I want to launch a search party for Torrance's jumper, though. <laughs> yeah, poor kid. That's that's why I'm that's why I'm going with that uh, that prediction. Maybe it, if we will it to happen, because um, I, I really kind of feel like if he can get his his jump shot going, it that that's kind of the one area where I think this this offense is is kind of ready to take another step. Is they just need kind of like another secondary shooter to step up and make some threes, and they just have not had it. <laughs> Um, so maybe that guy's Torrance and maybe it's against Oklahoma. So, uh, until then, um, we will be back next week with, uh, more dive cuts. Make sure you, you know, do your thing, subscribe, uh, share it to your friends, let them subscribe, rate it, uh, give us five stars. Uh, if you have any issues with the podcast, tweet at Mitch because, uh, it's all his fault. So, uh, we'll be back next week. And until then, thanks for tuning in.